Welcome to the 42nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am your stand-in host for today, Patrick Winograd, as my dad is out of town currently. Uh, In this edition, I will talk about the Major League Baseball results of the week and sift through some interesting news in the world of baseball, as well as congratulate some teams who have clinched their playoff first in the NBA and say goodbye to those who have been sadly eliminated. So let's jump right in with a look at the Major League Baseball standings, starting with the NL West. Uh, The San Francisco Giants are 23-14 at the top. The Padres are 21-17, two and a half games back. The Dodgers are 20-17, three games back. Arizona is 17-21, too far back for me to count for. Uh, And Colorado is 14-24, way too far back. Uh, The Dodgers were losing a lot of games recently after their 13-2 start to the season. Uh, 5-15 in their last 20, dating back to Sunday to be exact. However, a two-game mini-sweep of the Seattle Mariners had the Dodgers put everything together to get some consistency in their first series win in a really long time. Uh, The injuries uh, might still be a long-term issue. Dustin May is now confirmed out for the season. They hope to have him back by next spring training. Uh, Edwin Rios, who was having a pretty awful season, but I think we know the reason now, uh, w- is having surgery on a torn, partially torn labrum, and he will also be out for the season. Uh, although Cody Bellinger has posted a few videos of himself running and doing some different drills, so his return might be on the horizon, so maybe the injury situation might, return, might turn in their favor. Uh, Joe Kelly actually pitched out of the bullpen a bit against the Angels, didn't have a great outing, but... Nice to see him back. He needs some game action to get back into it. Uh, but the real problem for the Dodgers right now is close games. Uh, they're 4-10 in, in one-run games this year. That is the reason why they have this 20-17 and 17 record. If you change that to 10-4 instead, you're looking at a 26-13 and 13 team, which or 26-11 and 11 actually, which is just, it, it's, it's an astronomical difference. Um, and the Dodgers have typically been great in one-run games, especially if you look at last year's postseason. The Dodgers played a lot of close games against, especially in the Braves series, uh, and they won a lot of them. But uh, Kenley Jansen has looked good. It's just that the Dodgers have always been behind, so even if he holds the game at the same situation, the hitters have to do something, and they really haven't been, to be quite honest. Uh, Although, I will say the Dodgers finally got some clutch hits in their win on Tuesday, and I believe that the momentum has swung back in their favor and the situation is turning around, but only time will tell. Uh, In terms of the rest of the division, the Padres will not have a few players for some time due to COVID-19 issues. Those players are Fernando Tatis Jr. and Will Myers, who tested positive for COVID-19, and due to contract tracing, Jerks and Profar, Jorge Mateo, and Eric Hosmer will also be out. Uh, I will be going into detail on that on the segment a little bit later uh, more, but... In terms of the baseball impact of it, uh, the Padres right now, they're just ahead of the Dodgers, but I don't think they're going to hold that while those players are out. They're very important players. Uh, They almost lost both games of a doubleheader against the Rockies, had to get out of bases loaded jam to not lose both games of it. So they're definitely not playing very well right now, and they also have a weekend series against the Cardinals, who are in a pretty good position to maybe even sweep them, at least a good... uh, situation to be able to win that series but run differential which I'm going to start using on the podcast now that we're about 40 games in the season for each team which is typically a good indicator of how dominate 
how dominant or unlucky you are. Um, I want to use it more on the podcast, obviously, as I said, now that we're 40 games in, I feel like it's starting to actually become relevant and be a really accurate uh, depictor of that. Uh, If you're the Dodgers, you feel good about yourselves because of run differential. LA is plus 40 on the season, which is third in the league. Um, This is pretty crazy. They're only behind the White Sox and the Astros, and I'll talk about those two teams later, obviously. But uh, it's actually very surprising that the Dodgers have the third-best run differential because it feels like they've had so many demoralizing losses, but the reality is 10 of their 17 losses are in one-run games. Uh, And most of the games that they win have been not very close because the roster, when it performs at its peak, is just a lot better than other rosters that can be put out. And I think that's the reason why that happens. Uh, But if you're the Dodgers, I think that means you feel good about yourself. You know the talent you have on your roster. You know that as soon as those guys start coming back from injury, this situation will probably start to improve. Uh, San San Francisco, excuse me, is plus 33, which is 6th in the league. San Diego is plus 27, which is 8th in the league. Uh, Arizona is minus 9, and Colorado is minus 27. So that would indicate to you that this race at the top is indeed... A very close race between the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. Uh, It would also indicate that maybe the Giants aren't as strong as they look because they're closer to the Padres in run differential than they are in the standings, and they're behind the Dodgers even in run differential as opposed to being ahead of them by three games in the standings. Uh, And speaking of the Giants and the Dodgers, they will play each other for the first time this season in a three-game series starting on May 21st. As I keep saying, uh, next week I'll stop repeating that because it will be May 21st the next time I'm recording the podcast. So maybe we can actually talk about a game on that series as opposed to just hype it it up a little bit. Uh, Now moving on to the NL Central, you have the Cardinals at the top at 23 and 15, the Brewers in second at 20 and 18, the Cubs in third at 17 and 18, the Reds in fourth at 17 and 19, and the Pirates in last at 15 and 22. I am finally starting to see the picture of this division. I think this is how it will end up, pretty much with the records aligning like this too, uh, with the Pirates uh, many games below 500. Uh, nothing against them. It's just their roster is not as strong as these other teams. And the Reds and the Cubs both a few games under. And then the Cardinals having a pretty decent record. I would put them at about 95 to 100 wins. Uh, and then the Brewers having a good enough record to probably make the playoffs, but not to win the division, probably at a 85 to 90-ish win, win scenario there for them. Um, run differential indicates that actually there are some teams in this division whose records don't actually tell their caliber, whether that be in a good fashion or a bad fashion. Uh, St. Louis is plus 27, which is seventh in the league. That's a little lower than what their record indicates, but it's pretty much right on with it. Uh, Now, Milwaukee is the weird one because they are minus 10 in run differential. That is something you would see out of a team that is multiple games below 500 or or a few, I guess, especially at this juncture. Um, Not something you see from a team above 500 and maybe indicates that they're in line for a downturn soon. Uh, Part of that might be the fact that in a four-game series against the Dodgers, every game was played within two runs except for one game where the Dodgers won by, I think, 12 or 13 runs. Uh, 16 to 4, I believe, was the final score. So it's possible that there are just a few games and there are a few outliers that are contributing to that. Um, But it still does not bode well for Milwaukee in the long run. 
Uh, even their division, their divisional uh, opponents, the Chicago Cubs, have a minus seven run differential at seventeen and eighteen, which is still better than theirs. Uh, Cincinnati's plus three, uh, which is pretty good for a team with a losing record, indicates they'll probably be able to get it back up to about five hundred by the end of the season. Uh, and Pittsburgh is minus forty four, which is the second worst in the league, which would also just tell you that maybe their record is a little bit uh, a little bit misleading for how good this team is. Um, I don't think they're very very good. Now we will move on to the NL East. Where the New York Mets are in first place at 18 and 13, they are on a five-game winning streak currently to get there. Uh, the Phillies are in second at 20 and 18. The Braves and Marlins are tied for third at 17 and 20, and the Nationals are in last at 14 and 19. Uh, the run differential in this division is a little bit crazy. Uh, you have the Mets in first at only plus four, which is. Odd for a team five games above 500, but not not worrying in the long run, especially when you consider the style that some of these games go go uh, go towards with Jacob Degrom on the mound. Uh, they have a pretty good pitching staff, so that tends to happen with those kinds of teams. Uh, Philadelphia is minus five, which again, kind of like Milwaukee, it does not look good for them in the long term. But we'll see what actually ends up happening. There could be a few outliers that are contributing to that. Same thing as Milwaukee. Uh, Miami is plus 14, which is actually 10th in the league. They have the best run differential in this entire division, which is very, very strange considering that they're many, many games out of five out of first place. And they also are regarded as a decent team, but not necessarily one of the better ones. Uh, so honestly, 10th in the league would be higher than I would place them. And especially based on their record, it doesn't seem like it indicates that they're that good. But if their run differential is that good, maybe they can turn it around when they get uh, an easier part of their schedule, although playing the Dodgers is certainly not going to help with that, and that's what's going on with them this weekend. Uh, after Miami, you have Atlanta at minus 21, uh, and then Washington at minus 20. Now, I want to go back to Atlanta for a second. Atlanta is a team that is deeply, deeply talented and should be so much better than this. But they're not losing in close games. They're not having one or two things go go wrong that maybe they could fix by the end of the season and it'll all be fine because they're an experienced team. This team is having some issues. Um, I don't necessarily think that it, it's going to continue long term, but I think in general you don't like to see a team like the Braves slump to start a season like they have this year, especially after their disappointing end to last year. Uh, it may be carrying over a little bit. Part of it is Freddie Freeman's having another slow start. Last year he had a pretty slow start, but then ended up winning the M M NL MVP. So uh, if he's able to turn around like that again, I can see the Braves turning it around too. But it it's possible that they don't ever really get on the same page and they maybe don't end up as the 100-win uh, divisional series winner and maybe even a World Series contender that we thought they would be. Uh, and maybe they just sit kind of at 90 wins, and they might even lose this division to the Mets. Uh, but that's all I got on the NL. Moving on to the AL, let's start in the West again. In the AL West, the A's currently lead at 23-16, and 16, although, although they have a really weird run differential. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. The Astros are second at 21-17. and 17. The Mariners are third at 18-20. and 20. The Rangers are fourth at 18 and 21, and the Angels are last at 16 and 20. Uh, 
This is the weirdest run differential, I think, in the league. Oakland is minus 13. Uh, That's not something you see out of a team who's a few games out of the best record in the league. Um, And it's a little strange, and I think most of it comes from their win streak earlier in the season, that being that they started 1-7, and and out of those losses, a lot of them weren't close, and then their 13-game win streak uh, afterwards was a lot of close wins, uh, had a lot of close wins involved in it. So I think that's what it is, and eventually, as we get later in the season, if they keep this kind of a record and this pace, uh, it'll probably go uh, a plus run differential rather than a minus one for a winning record team. But Houston, in second place, has a plus 45 run differential, second in the league only to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, I I think the Astros will take this division lead pretty soon. Um, I think maybe if they play each other again, I'm not quite too sure how soon that will be, but if they play each other again, I would certainly pick the Astros to win that series, depending on the matchups, but probably 90% of the matchups I would favor the Astros in, uh, matchups pitching-wise. Uh, and then Seattle's minus 25, Texas is minus 9, and, and the Angels are minus 38. So, the Angels truly look like they're actually at the bottom of this division, uh, Texas, you could say, is lower than what their record would indicate, but I don't really think they're going to keep that going, and I think they will end up probably in fourth in this division, uh, and maybe even the Angels switch with the Mariners by the end of the season, too. It's very possible. Uh, But back to the Astros, that plus 45 is pretty ridiculous when they're only four games above 500. If you were to treat it as an aggregate measure of how much you win by every game, they would be technically winning their four wins above 500 by an average of 12 runs, basically. So that is, uh, it's it's astonishing that a team can have that high of a run differential and still be only four games above 500. But I think they'll continue to move in the right direction as much as I hate to say it as a Dodgers fan who does not like the Astros very much. I think they're talented enough and they might even come back to championship caliber and competing for it this year. Uh, moving on to the AL Central which currently has the MLB's best team in baseball, the Chicago White Sox. They're 22-13. and 13. They have six wins in a row right now. Uh, second place is the Cleveland Indians at 21-14. and 14. They have the best record in MLB since April 25th, and yet they've got... And yet Chicago has caught up to them somehow, uh, just by their own magnificent play. Uh, and then you have the Royals, who are at 16-20 and 20 in third. They have lost 11 games in a row which I kept saying was probably going to happen, and now it did. I was just waiting for it to happen. They played the White Sox. The White Sox swept them. Uh, The Tigers even swept them, and the Tigers, speaking of, have won four games in a row. They're now 13-24 and in the season after that sweep of the Royals. And then the Twins are at the bottom of the division at 12-23, and Uh, although when we get into the run differential here, you'll see that this division is uh, kind of flipped in very, very weird Uh, Chicago is plus 66 in run differential, best in the league by 21 runs over the second place team. Uh, I think that's very indicative of how they've been playing. I really like how Chicago's been. I think they were my preseason pick as far as I'm concerned for the World Series uh, against the Dodgers, although I might have picked the Yankees, but the White Sox are a close second and they always have been for me. Uh, So I'm not entirely surprised that they're playing this well, but it's, it's interesting Uh, and especially that six-game win streak, they're going to have a lot of momentum going forward in the season. They're dealing with some injuries right now, and they're still kind of chugging along, unlike how the Dodgers dealt with their injuries. 
meanwhile, the Indians are plus 19, which is ninth in the league. Nothing really much to say there. Kansas City is minus 35, which for a team four games under 500 is awful, but they were actually at a negative run differential when they had a winning record, and I think that's why I kind of tended to say this team is going to turn down soon because it, it, it there are too many factors pointing to the fact that they're a little bit overrated and they're not really that good. Uh, Detroit is minus 64, the worst in the league, and Minnesota is somehow only minus 15, uh, even though they hold currently the league's worst record. Um, so maybe they can turn it around. Maybe that's a sign of it. Byron Buxton's been playing so well that I don't see a reason why they can't turn it around. Uh, they've played some close games. They unfortunately had to play the White Sox during their win streak. So we'll see if they can turn it around by playing some easier competition. Uh, and moving on to the AL East, the final division in the AL, the Red Sox are at the top at 23 and 16. The Blue Jays are in second at 20 and 16. The Yankees are in third at 20 and 17. The Rays are in fourth at 20 and 19. And the Orioles are in fifth at 16 and 21. In terms of run differential, Boston is plus 36, fourth in the league behind the Dodgers, Astros, and the White Sox. Toronto is plus 34 behind all of those teams that I just mentioned, and Boston, uh, only which is fifth in the league. Uh, the Yankees are plus eight, Tampa Bay is plus six, and Baltimore is minus 20. Overall, this is probably the strongest division in baseball, I would say. Uh, four teams above 500. When you count in the Red Sox, you can take, you can say you have Two serious contenders from when you talk about the Rays, who were in the World Series last year, and the Yankees, who are always a preseason favorite, uh, and then the Blue Jays, who are coming on strong with some of those young guys that they have. Then you add in the Red Sox there, and you really have a very, very strong division. And the Orioles aren't that bad either. They're just kind of running into a very hard division to win in. Uh, But I will say, I I think the Blue Jays and the Yankees are going to catch up to the Red Sox relatively soon. Although I would not be surprised if the Red Sox were able to hold this division lead, probably maybe even until 80 games into the season. It seems like, uh, especially with the Yankees coaching coaching uh, coaches that are out with COVID, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, it seems like they might have some issues coming up here, and I think the Red Sox might be able to capitalize on that. And the Red Sox-Yankees series, no matter how bad or good either team is, is always a toss-up, so... If you see the Red Sox winning some of those games, you might see the Red Sox keep that division lead, and I think they're capable of doing it. Uh, They're also very capable of beating the Blue Jays, so I wouldn't be very surprised. Uh, And that is going to conclude our look at, or my look, I guess, uh, at the MLB for this week. Now I'm going to stay on the topic of baseball, but move on to a segment I am calling Random Assorted Important News. Uh, this, this has nothing to do with team's results. It's just about, uh, different events that have happened and records that have been set recently. So here we go. Uh, starting with the COVID issues with the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Will Myers, who tested positive and due to contact tracing, Jerickson Profar, Jorge Mateo, and Eric Hosmer are now all out. I don't exactly know for how long based on those protocols for the MLB. I think it's different on a case-by-case basis. Will Myers is actually pulled from a game uh, in the middle of the game, so it's very it's a very interesting situation. Uh, that happened to Justin Turner in the World Series actually last year, so we're not entirely we're we're used to this at this point. Uh, even though I think it's kind of weird that the testing isn't done in a way that it gets to the teams before the games start, but I'll, I'll put my I'll put my opinion aside on that one to just say. 
Uh, this could really hurt the Padres and, and their momentum that they kind of had there. Uh, I think overall it's not it's not too shocking that we're still seeing some COVID cases in baseball. Um, maybe teams have gotten a little too lax with the protocols inside of their or within their own teams and their own locker rooms after um, last year feeling like at the end of the year they were doing pretty well with it and didn't have many positives. And the New York Yankees are also dealing with a similar situation. Uh, although theirs brings into a wider national context an interesting uh, conversation. As we know, the CDC has pretty much eliminated the mask requirements for vaccinated people uh, who are fully vaccinated. Uh, but the Yankees have an odd thing that they're calling breakthrough positives, I believe. Uh, eight fully vaccinated members of the Yankees have tested positive for COVID-19. That includes shortstop Glaber Torres, three coaches, Matt Blake, Phil Nevin, and Reggie Willits, and the rest are unknown members of the coaching staff. I don't know if it's unknown in the reports that I found or if you could probably tell if you're a Yankees fan and you would know, but I'm not a Yankees fan, so I don't know. Uh, but obviously this is some interesting, concerning news and something as baseball fans that we don't really want to see, uh, and really as people we don't want to see. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, to positive news on the other side of New York, Pat Mazaika of the New York Mets has two walk-offs in his first four career games. As of Tuesday night, he had not yet recorded his first career hit, yet he had two walk-offs and three RBIs in, in his first four career games uh, because of a walk and two fielders' choice walk-offs, uh, which is ridiculous. Um... He still does not have a hit in his se- in this season or in his career, which is the same thing. Uh, I'm just wondering if this has ever been done before. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's something that has been done in the past. It seems like the luck that you'd have to have to be placed in that situation multiple times in your first four career games and not get a hit to get two walk-offs is pretty hard. Um, but congratulations to Pat Mazaika for making history for not being able to get a hit, I guess. Uh, and in history, that's all positive. We have two pitchers coming up here. Shohei Otani struck out 10 batters and then played in the outfield. The first pitcher to do so since 1952 and the third since 1900. Uh, this is just ridiculous. That's the only word I can use to describe it. Uh, for a guy to be this good at pitching and then just casually after his outing, just stroll into the field, just play the outfield uh, Shohei has such an insane amount of talent, and it makes so much sense why the Angels went so hard after uh, signing him a few off-seasons ago. Uh, the, the deal is definitely paying off right now, although it really has not resulted in much success because the rest of their lineup, uh, other than Mike Trout and Shohei, has been very unproductive, and their starting pitching outside of Shohei has been very unproductive. Um... But, hey, Shohei and Mike Trout are going to be two MVP contenders. Definitely something for Angels fans to be excited about and be happy to be at the ballpark for. Uh, So, in the end, it's still very positive for them. And then moving on to Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns set a record 52 strikeouts to zero walks to start the season. Uh, He then further extended that record to 57 strikeouts without a walk before he walked a Cardinals batter later in that game. But like Jacob deGrom... He does not get enough run support somehow, and even with a 1.57 ERA, he has a 2-3 losing record on the season as a starting pitcher. Uh, If I'm Corbin Burns or Jacob deGrom, 
on two teams who are above 500 and in the top two in their division in the NL, I am very, very confused as to how I pitch this well and I can't get any wins out of it. It's 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 really sad, I guess. I, I don't I don't really think it's sad, but it's it's weird and it's definitely not not necessarily demoralizing. It's hard to summarize the impact because they know they're pitching well, but at the same time they they're not getting really the benefits of the wins and everything. Um, similar situation on the Dodgers is that Trevor Bauer, I believe, is three and two uh, with a two point five ERA, whereas Julio Urias has an ERA in the threes and is five and one on the season. Uh, it, it, it's just kind of odd, and it's the way that baseball works, just kind of weird in that way. Uh, but if you're Corbin Burns, I'm sure you're happy that you've set this record for most strikeouts to begin a season without issuing a singular walk. And his strikeout-to-walk ratio, if it continues, is probably, I would assume, on pace for the best all-time. I don't think anybody's ever going to have a 60-to-1 walk ratio, uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. And he probably won't end up with it either. But um, we'll see what keeps happening with Corbin Burns. Now, moving on, this one is a little bit of a more sad tone. Uh, I'm calling this Oko, oh no, the Oakland A's are on the verge of moving, it seems, maybe. Uh, they have played in Oakland since 1968. They have prioritized in the past few years building a new stadium in downtown Oakland that they plan to be on the water, kind of in a similar fashion to, uh, how I think it's still called AT&T Park, it might be called something else. Um, the Giants' home stadium is in San Francisco, but after years of failed stadium plans, they have to seriously consider relocation. Uh, the MLB has long held the position that their stadium, which is called the Ring Central Coliseum, although it was formerly titled Oco, which is why I said Oco, no, has overstayed its welcome by far. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, and if you recall, the Raiders actually made the decision to leave this same stadium to go to their new Death Star Stadium uh, in Las Vegas only a few years ago. Uh, and this press statement by the MLB could be just putting political pressure on the local Oakland government, too, because I think they'd like to keep a team in Oakland, uh, especially keeping that Bay Area rivalry that doesn't get played very often, but it's still interesting between the A's and the Giants. I think they'd like to keep a team there. Uh, so maybe the statement is just putting the pressure, and a lot of people have suggested that it might, for the local government to actually sign into action the stadium, uh, the stadium building plans and everything, uh, or at least make them make a decision so that the MLB knows, because it is true that stadium is not equipped to be an MLB stadium. But I'm going to read the statement by the MLB, uh, and here it is. MLB is concerned with the rate of progress on the A's new ballpark effort with local officials and other stakeholders in Oakland. The A's have worked very hard to advance a new ballpark in downtown Oakland for the last four years, investing significant resources while facing multiple roadblocks. We know they remain deeply committed to succeeding in Oakland, and with two other sports franchises recently leaving the community, their commitment to Oakland is now more important than ever. The, Okla the Oakland Coliseum site is not a viable option for the future vision of baseball. We have instructed the athletics to begin to explore other markets while they continue to pursue a waterfront ballpark in Oakland. The athletics need a new ballpark to remain competitive, so it is now in our best interest to also consider other markets. Uh, as the statement says, you can tell that uh, they, they definitely have seen what's happened with other leagues, and they know that it's very, very possible. Um, Oko was not in great shape. The Warriors Oracle Arena was probably in better shape than Oko, uh, but they still decided to leave to build a massive new 
uh, very, very shiny new stadium <laughs> called the Chase Center in down to, in San Francisco uh, in the heart of the city as opposed to being in Oakland. So Oakland could be the last team, or the A's could be the last team to leave Oakland and they might have to rebrand. Uh, as I said earlier, Vegas is a possible new market they could relocate to. Relocate to. Uh, although MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred has said in the past uh, that Portland, Vancouver, Nashville, Charlotte, and Montreal could be possible sites for any expansion teams in the future. So you would assume that they would be considered for relocation. I think also Portland geographically is actually technically even closer to Seattle in terms of the um, the divisional landscape of the uh, travel and all that stuff. I don't think they can relocate all the way across the country to Nashville and stay in the AL West. And I don't think MLB wants to uh, change up all their divisions for one team moving because their stadium is old. Um, so I think they'd rather them stay in Portland or Vancouver or Las Vegas. I think that would be the best uh, on all fronts. Uh, but uh, it would be sad to see them leave. But again, their stadium is kind of in total disrepair, I would say. So it's sad to see Oakland leave after so long, and it looks like it, it. It looks more likely than not, although if it, although it could be just a huge bluff from the MLB and the organization to try to get that waterfront stadium built. Which, if it was built, would be a great thing too. Although again, it would still be sad to see them leave behind the memories of their old stadium, which they won four titles in in the same fashion that the Warriors left, just in such short order after winning three titles in. Uh, in Oracle and every, and it was kind of sad to see them leave because there was such re, not even just such history, but such recent history in the building. Uh, but moving on from sad news in the baseball world, I'm now going to talk about NBA teams who have clinched non-play-in bracket playoff spots. Last week we highlighted the 76ers, Nets, Bucks, Jazz, Suns, Clippers, and Nuggets. This week, the three teams to clinch were all in the East and actually have filled out the East play non-play-in playoff bracket. Uh, the Miami Heat. I'm going to say the Dark Horse secures their spot, is how I would describe it. Uh, this team really is good enough to compete for a title uh, if everything goes their way. Uh, they had, they were pretty injured last year when they were playing the Lakers, and maybe if they weren't, they could have taken that series to at least seven games, maybe even won it. But uh, it, it unfolded the way it did, so unfortunately they were not able to do that. But look, the Heat are talented. They're very, 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 very extremely well coached uh, by Eric Spolstra, obviously. A great all all time coach, probably a Hall of Fame coach, very very easily first ballot maybe. Uh, so the Heat are in a good position. They do play the three seed, which is either going to be the Bucks or the Nets. We will see who that is uh, later on. But if they play the Bucks, I might actually say they do have a chance to get out of the first round. I don't think they're good enough to beat the Nets. Um, but maybe if the Nets are caught off guard while still forming their chemistry, it's possible. Uh, moving on, the Hawks, they are back to relevance after some expensive, expensive offseason moves to get a lot of players in free agency, and they even traded Rajon Rondo, who they got in free agency too. Uh, they also traded for Clint Capella last year. So overall, this team was uh, not not willing to rebuild around Trey Young. They wanted to go after it immediately, and it's paid off. They might even secure home court advantage for a round in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs, which I think many teams thought, or many uh, experts thought, that this was maybe a 6-7 seed team before the year, but I don't think many people would have had them above Miami and Boston. 
Uh, although those teams kind of had some unpredictable slumps, especially the Heat at the beginning of the season, although the Heat might still end up ahead of the Hawks. But congratulations to the Hawks on clinching your playoff spot. And for the final team that clinched this week, they are also in the East. No teams have clinched in the West due to that craziness going on with uh, Dallas, Portland, and Los Angeles right now, Uh, although somebody might clinch maybe an hour or two after I publish this. Uh, But in terms of teams, uh, yeah, so the Knicks are the last team who clinched. Uh, They are back to relevance after some disappointingly inexpensive offseason moves over the last few years. A lot of people thought they were going to land Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and instead Brooklyn did. But hey, they end up two seeds about maybe, we'll see, depends on some record and stuff. They're going to be within at least three three or four seeds of the Nets. So in the end, they did not put in what we thought they would. Uh, they did not put in the money we thought they would. They did not get the players we thought they'd have. But in the end, they're going to end up with a pretty good result. Um... I don't know what this team's ceiling is. I don't think they're going to be a conference finalist team just based on those top three teams in the East. But I wouldn't put it past them to take a few games, maybe challenge some of those teams, and they could definitely get out of the first round depending on their matchup. So congratulations to the New York Knicks. Uh, And now moving on to the teams who have been eliminated. Last week we covered the Magic, the Cavs, the Pistons, the Thunder, the Timberwolves, and the Rockets. This week, one team in the East and two in the West. The Raptors, uh, I'll just say, they'll probably be back next year. I'm not too worried about them. Uh, they had made the playoffs for eight years in a row before this, so it's it's. Uh, I, got, I, I don't think they want to see that streak come to an end, obviously. Um, but at the same time, all those streaks always come to an end at some point, so had to happen sooner, rather than la- sooner or later, uh, although they're not very happy that it did happen sooner rather than later. Uh, the Pelicans, look, it's a terrible end to the season after Zion went down, but look, a bright, bright future for this team. If they keep the play-in format, I think this team will easily be in the playoffs next year. Uh, there's a lot of quality teams in the West, so I'm not going to go so far to say they're going to be a top eight team, but they will at least make that play-in bracket next year at 10th. I think they're going to be better than San Antonio come next year, uh, especially how they've been playing at the end of the season. And then the Sacramento Kings, just too many close losses, too many choked games, but another team with a bright future. Hopefully De'Aaron Fox finally gets the respect he deserves and makes an all-star game next year. It would be sad to see him not in the all-star game because I think he deserves it. Uh, But this was a season that had a lot of injuries in it for Sacramento. De'Aaron Fox has not played since uh, mid to late April, and they still almost didn't get eliminated. Uh... They actually lost a game after being up by some with a few minutes left, but Memphis went on a 12-0 run to end the game and knocked the Kings out of playoff contention, so they will probably end up about one or two games out of the playoffs in the standings, Uh, and overall, Marvin Bagley was out for a lot of the season, Uh, Tyrese Halliburton went down at the end, De'Aaron Fox went down at the end, Harrison Barnes wasn't there for that last game that I was just talking about, so... A pretty for considering that this was an injury-riddled season for the Kings, I would say the future is looking bright for them, and they would probably be in the same place as New Orleans next year, competing for a play-in spot. I definitely think they're better than San Antonio coming around next year. Uh, so that will end this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, May seventeenth, where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action, and see the accuracy of my weekend predictions 
In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my MLB Power Rankings on our website, 424.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.